Hello and welcome to Kyle's Internal Monologue, Episode 9. I hope you enjoyed that interview that Claudia did with me um, the last episode, which came out earlier this week. Um, we were both very excited to do it, but now we're back on track with Babylon 5. We're covering the episode known as The War Prayer. Um, this episode is a episode not written by J. Michael Straczynski or JMS. It is written by uh, DC Fontana or Dorothy Fontana. Uh, the pseudonym DC Fontana was created because back uh, back when she was getting her career started in the late 50s, early 60s, it was not acceptable to have a woman writing science fiction. It's considered a guy genre, a male genre. So she wrote underneath the pseudonym dc fontana because it kind of sounds like a male name so um in that it's truly sad that she had to do that but it was the 50s and the 60s and things have changed but uh, she's become so well known as dc fontana she continues to write underneath that pseudonym and most people know that she is dorothy fontana um fantastic writer too i mean she wrote uh the star trek episode a mock time among many many others uh, Journey to Babel. Um, those are some great episodes. And she also wrote some fantastic episodes of other Star Trek series, uh, Dax and DS9. Um, Encounter in Farpoint was massively rewritten by Gene Renberry, but it was a pretty decent episode for what it was trying to do. So, uh, let's get into the actual Babylon 5 episode. So, this episode has two plots, an A and a B plot, the tra your traditional TV setup. So, uh, the A plot has to do with Malcolm com coming to the station, and he's an ex-lover eight from eight years ago of Ivanova. And we come to find out that uh, there is a uh, pro-Earth movement, uh, the Home Guard, and he turns out to be a member of the Home Guard, and they're specifically attacking aliens. Uh, we see that my uh, Mayan, a, a uh, prominent Minbari poet, was attacked and brutalized uh, in, the, in the teaser, the cold open of the episode. Um, and we learn that there are many pro-Earth movements going on throughout uh, not not just Babylon 5, but Earth and Mars, there's a distinct anti-alien sentimentality that's going through. Um, and when the thing about Babylon 5 is it doesn't pull its punches. It's going, it gets very political, very socially aware, and addresses these and talks about how these are problems that have been going on forever and ever and ever, and we probably won't ever get rid of them, but we can fight it the best we can. Um, and racism or xenophobia is this horrible thing, and you know, most people know that that's a horrible thing. I mean, uh, but we see people continuing to peddle it throughout human history. I mean, not not just ancient history and before. Like, look at right now, um, everything that has to do with the Trump administration and everything that's going on in multiple different countries. The extreme far right. Uh, going too far and becoming neo-Nazis and uh, campaigning against, uh, you know, uh, people of color, people of uh, different sexualities. Um, it's a very horrible thing that's going on in real life. And while I'm a straight white guy, I'm as generic as they come, and I fully acknowledge my privilege, I've seen people act like the people of the Home Guard do. 
uh, example from something I've witnessed, and it was horrible to witness it, um, was I had, uh, basically, I'm from Oklahoma, um, I'm from the United States, and I went over to the United Kingdom to go to university to get my degree, uh, which eventually I graduated from with a bachelor's degree in creative writing. And when I was there during my first week, I had to go to Southampton uh, to, uh, uh, to fill out this form and get my residency card because I was there on the tier four visa. They had given me a temporary thing that was only valid for a little bit. And then they give you a residency card saying that you're, hey, it's valid for the next three, three or so years. And that was all fine and dandy. And uh, basically, they made arrangements for all international students to uh, be, be put on this bus, and we, we would go, and uh, we'd be driven there, we'd fill out the forms, boom, be driven back, be back in our dorms in like an hour and a half. You know, n nothing major. It was really easy to do. But when I, when I went to go do this, uh, as we pulled up to the, uh, the, the, the place that we had to fill out the forms, there was this old, uh, old, old, probably 60s, 70s white guy sitting outside, and as everybody got off the bus, he would shout, go back to your own country, we don't want you here. And he would repeatedly say this, and uh, eventually we, uh, eventually we had complained enough, and our teachers managed to get, get him to go away. But it was this horrible situation where, thankfully, he wasn't violent. But even though there was people from all different countries that had come there for, the, for, for to fill out these forms and get the residency card, people from China, from Norway, from me, an American, um, people from Malaysia, uh, India, all over the world, you know, and some of us were of different ethnicities, yes, but some of us, like me, I'm just a plain Jane white guy. I'm not, I'm not, you know, any different ethnicity. I'm not a different sexuality. I'm, like I said, I'm very generic. But he was still saying that to me because in, it's what's called tribal mentality. Um, you see it, you see it to a lesser extent in sports. Those sports have notoriously gone pretty deadly before where it becomes more about your place and the rooting for the home team basically um you know of uh, they wear red hats we uh, we wear blue hats blue hats are better than red hats you know that kind of thing um uh, apple versus android uh from a few years ago uh marvel versus dc you know those kind of things the tribalism th these things shouldn't exist uh, there's no reason to fight over these things, but we become obsessed with what I have is better than what you have. Um, that kind of mentality. So the way this guy was seeing it, it was England for the English. It doesn't matter that a lot of my ancestors happen to have been British, then I'm an American and I'm white and straight. I have all this privilege and all, all that stuff, but to him, I was an outsider. I wasn't British. I wasn't English specifically. So that becomes an entire thing in society where tribalism uh, takes over that mentality. And we see that with the home guard where they are very 
very, very tribal. It's like humans, uh, you know, Earth for Earthers, you know, humans should be controlling things. Aliens are taking our jobs. And we see throughout this deal, the, the, this episode, that repeatedly their rhetoric is is insane. It's it's just as it's leaps of logic, completely stupid, but people genuinely believe it because that's the scary thing about society is that you can get wrapped up in thinking about yourself rather than thinking of other people, and that can cause problems, especially once it verges into tribalism and believing, my, you know, uh, my side is better than your side. Um, once in the, that is a major theme of this series, but I will get in that in the spoiler section. Um, so it's a very heavy topic to address, um, and uh, DC Fontana does it fantastically. Um, and, and, and one thing I like is that Home Guard is never given a shred of credibility, never gonna shred a sympathy, they are straight up the bad guys, that they are straight up awful, because people who act like that genuinely are awful. And uh, that that kind of mentality is abhorrent, and we shouldn't tolerate it. And um, their, their way to get rid of them is quite quite good, and in, uh, of course, Ivanova's famous last lines of the episode of, I find those people more human than you are, but you wouldn't understand that. And it's incredibly sad uh, to know that people can be driven to that sort of extremism and that sort of horribleness. And, and that's why Ivanova's line strikes, uh, strikes you so hard is because, yeah, they may be different than us, but they act more like what we should be acting like than you are. Um, like I said, incredibly heavy topic to deal with, but that is the nature of Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is incredibly political, incredibly philosophical, and will deal with heavy topics, um, in my opinion, fantastically. Um, th there is an episode called Passing Through Gethsemane that deals with capital punishment, and that will be very interesting to deal with when we get there. But we are not there yet. Um, so the B-plot, I think is really interesting, uh, and is more, more world building for the way the Centauri work. We had gotten quite a bit of that at Born to the Purple, but we get more of it here that um, they don't view love that that love has nothing to do with marriage. Uh, that you that arranged marriages have been done for thousands of years, and you should be doing it. You know that is tradition is tradition. You follow tradition. That is, that is the end of it. That is the end of that discussion. You follow tradition they use um they are the great lion of the galaxy they are the the powerful and glorious centauri republic they are as far as they're concerned uh their traditions are what made them great so they should always be followed of course traditions sometimes have to be broken in order to become something new um the centauri have become a stagnant people. They are obsessed with their past, they are obsessed with these traditions, and they don't grow, they don't change, and that is, that is fundamentally hurting them as a people. Um, and we see that, that, that Londo has become this massive cynic, and the B-plot has this really interesting vibe of optimism versus pessimism and uh, cynicism versus romanticism where uh, Mayan, the Minbari poet, 
because uh, there's not, you, love is one of the great healing tools. Uh, what you know? Why should uh, why should Arya have to live without love? Uh, it will help her deal with this. And, and he goes, she will have to. And Londo replies with, she will have to learn to live without it. Uh, this is tradition. And uh, Mayan, of course, famously calls Londo out on his bullshit, going like, you learn to live without love. And as we see later on, where he says that fantastic line that his grandfather used to say to him, uh, which was, my shoes are too tight, but it doesn't matter because I've forgotten how to dance. And that is, it is symbolic of the idea that you have become so old and so cynical to the world that you have lost all perspective and hope. Which is exactly where Londo is. I've been talking about this a lot, that he's cynical he's pessimistic and we we've had hints that he doesn't want that this job was forced upon him that he doesn't want this job and that he sees this job as a joke so the the mere fact of, of him being here he's just incredibly cynical to what everything's going on and that will come into play later throughout his arc um and i and i love how he eventually comes to his senses and realizes they're children they deserve have some hope in their lives um one of the big bigger parts of babylon 5 is this idea of legacy and uh leaving leaving the world a little bit better than it was when you came into it um and uh londo finds a way to ensure that kiran and Arya can marry who they want to marry for love even though he personally doesn't agree with it he understands why they want to do that so you see him use tradition Mimbari are all about tradition so he's like i'm going to go send you off to my second cousin you guys are going to learn you you're, you're going to become fostered uh, foster children to them and you're going to learn about our culture and and our family and then when you become of age you can choose who to marry um, it will no longer be an arranged marriage. And that is, um, in my opinion, a fantastic thing for him to do. And also shows that Londo has a heart that he just is not in touch with anymore. Um, so I will get into uh, spoiler sections for now because uh, we're, we've discussed a lot of the main themes and main ideas and quite heavy topics. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and head into the spoiler section because I've got a few things to discuss. So uh, one of the, the more interesting aspects is that um, throughout the episode, we get uh, Dylan and Mayan looking at the humans and going, I, th their hatred is so vitriolic for nothing. We cannot understand it. And, uh, the, and at the end, Dylan uh, even says the humans I find are very difficult to under very difficult to understand. It takes a while to get used to them. Of course, the Mimbari have their own prejudices, their own biases, their own form of xenophobia and racism. It is it just comes in a different form, and uh, eventually it will become a lot more transparent than it is currently. Uh, though it is, it's ingrained in the culture. We've heard about their caste before: the warrior caste, the religious caste, the workers caste. And uh, it's important that sooner or later we're that's going to become important because we have the Membari Civil War and the entire ordeal of the worker caste literally being forgotten about by everyone else. While the, the uh, warrior caste and the religious caste fight a battle over ideology and misinformation. Um, 
so that that's very interesting to see the seeds being sown for that. We get this idea that the Home Guard have friends in high places because they have those uh, camouflage suits, which they mention are a prototype that they had gotten. Of course, as we know at the end of the season, uh, someone who is sympathetic to the Home Guard's uh, sort of ideas, their horrible ideology, uh, Vice President Clark will become president by the end of the season, and he's responsible for a lot of the horrible stuff that's going to go on Earth. Of course, Earth eventually separates from the rest of the galaxy for a while and refuses to have aliens, and uh, and he's horribly racist and uh, outright fascistic, and but we will be getting to that later when that becomes more of a thing. For now, it is uh, just laying the seeds, because once again, this is all planned out, uh, and early season one is a lot of world building, a lot of character setting, a lot of just getting the mood set for what is to come. Um, there is an interesting idea that is pointed out by Ivanova and Sinclair in that what happened with Benjamin Kyle, Lita Alexander, and Kosh in The Gathering, which is nice continuity, calling back to the pilot, um, doesn't make any sense. You know, that uh, Kosh wears an encounter suit and the poison had to be administered through the skin, so how did he, how did the poison get administered to him? Was he out of his encounter suit? Or, or what, what the heck was going on, basically? And then Benjamin Kyle is the only human that I've ever seen in Forlorn, and then mysteriously is transferred to Earth. And then Lita Alexander, um, you know, mind-melded, basically, with a with a Vorlon, the only person to have ever done that, and then mysteriously disappears. Of course, as, as I assume you know, if you're listening to the spoiler section, she'll be back in the future. And that, that in, her, in her mind melding with the, with, with Kosh is going to become important to the plot. But uh, beyond that fact, um, there's this building sense of things are not quite as they seem on Earth. As I've been pointing out, you know, that uh, Earth is, the, the Babylon 5 is more shades of gray than anything else and earth is not sparkly clean and as i mentioned before with the pro-earth movements you know with clark uh being sympathetic to them is eventually they will take over uh so like of course it's not a it's it's not a surprise that benjamin kyle got mysteriously transferred back to earth because they wanted to know what the hell is going on with the warlocks especially once you consider the fact that vice president clark and the psychor are both working with the shadows uh, the Vorlons equal and opposite on ideology terms and on technological terms. Um, so then we get uh, we get to meet Londo's three wives: famine, uh, famine pestilence, and death. Uh, of course, they'll be back in a fantastic episode in season two. But also, if you think about it, the four horsemen: pestilence, famine, death, and therefore Londo being their husband makes him a war. Which, of course, is very interesting considering a decision he'll make uh, in episode 13, Signs Importance, where he aligns himself with the shadows, with Mr. Morden, by answering Morden's question and answering it correctly for Mr. Morden. And eventually completely allowing Mr. Morden to do, and his associates to do whatever they want to help him.
which will eventually cause a war. So very interesting concepts and ideas. And it's also quite funny that you have pestilence, famine, and death. And of course, one of them is called Timov, which is vomit backwards, but that's Peter David for you. We will get to that in season two. Um, the final the final bit of spoilery thing I want to talk about is in relation to Veer. Uh, wonderful Veer Koto. Um, he... He introduced himself in this episode as Ambassador Koto, which is quite funny considering he is the assistant to the ambassador. Um, and he, the you know, Kieran and Arya are, are, are here on his behest, and he wants to ensure that they can get married, and he doesn't, he doesn't disagree with him. He firmly believes that you should marry for love, which is why he's not married yet, and that will actually become important later when the woman he's betrothed to will show up on the station, and that will become super important to what's going on in plot-wise and his character arc, but you get this sense that he does not agree with tradition. Uh, he, he even says, screw tradition, when Londo is saying, you know, this is what has to be done, this is what should be done for the glory of the Centauri Republic. It's what they are. They are Centauri. They should act like Centauri. And he's like, screw tradition. Of course, at the end of the series, he's going to be the emperor of the Centauri. He's going, he, he's going to become the ambassador of the Babylon 5 with Londo leaves, and then he's going to become the actual... Uh, emperor when Londo dies. So, in, in from all, from all accounts, both in fiction, in this fiction, and from what JMS has said about the future of the Babylon Five universe, he brought a new peace and posterity to the Centauri Republic and brought them into a new generation, a new light that was much better for them. Uh, so it's wonderful to see all, all that being set up again. Babylon Five is great with setup and great with payoff as well. Um, but th this episode was absolutely fantastic. Um, there are just heavy topics being addressed the way they should be, and that will feed into the overall theme of, uh, as I said, tribal mentality. And of course, as Sheridan says, the understanding is a three-edged sword, your side, my side, and the truth. So uh, DC Fontana knocked it out of the park with this episode, like she does with most of her episodes. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the next episode because that is a sky full of stars, which originally was supposed to have uh, Walter Koenig in it. He was not able to be there, so the uh, uh, the part ended up going to another Star Trek alum, and that's what ended up getting Walter Koenig cast as Bester. But I will get into that uh, ne next episode. Uh, but we're going to be finding out some more stuff about Sinclair and his backstory, so that's going to be exciting. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle J. Share, and same with Instagram. You can get previews of my comics, insights into my writing. Of course, you can uh, support support my comics in this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash Kyle Share. And uh, I'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>